This is former World Wrestling Federation superstar Duke the Dumpster Drosy, and you are listening to BBGWrestling.com. It's time to take out the trash. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Turn Chuckle on BBG Wrestling. I have with me an all-time legend in ladies wrestling. She is, among many, many other great things, one of the inaugural WWF Ladies Tag Team Champions. She is Princess Victoria Vicky Otis. Hello. Hello, how are you today? I'm good. This is lovely. I never get asked how I am. No one cares. <laughs> Yeah. These interviews, these interviews are all about like oh, me, me, me. You know, ask me questions about my life, and you're asking me how I am. So that's very, very nice of you um, to do that. <laughs> that's 27 years of uh, of uh, retail service. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So th at the end, you have to uh, wish me a nice day and everything as well. Oh. Well, of course. Okay, that that is good. That is good. Um, so yeah, amongst many other things, you're also responsible for indirectly for one of the most uh, expensive trading cards on eBay, which um, which I told you about, uh, which has caused a bit of a, a controversy. Um, were you shocked when you saw that? Absolutely shocked. Um, what's funny is is Tops came over and had me sign. A thousand signatures. They yeah. gave me a lousy five dollars a signature, <laughs> and one card is going for forty five hundred dollars. <laughs> I want my royalties. Damn right. That that's the thing. That's what they don't tell you is that uh, these cards they do one with a red border and they only make one of those. Then they do maybe a hundred with a yellow border and then a you know a thousand or five hundred with a green border. So this is the only one with a red border. And I think they should have let you have that. I, I totally agree. I could have given it to my son so he could, instead of calling me Repo Mom, he could call me Wrestling Mom. <laughs> so how how does Background Sorry. on that is I work for a place called Rental Center. Uh -huh. And when you rent out things, people tend not to pay, so you have to go repossess it. So while the four years I was working for them, I was repo mom. <laughs> Do you go into full heel lady wrestler mode at that point? Because I wouldn't... If, if, if no one has seen anything of you other than Dark Side of the Ring, where you are, you know, very tough and mean and angry... You know, I would be scared if you came to the door and demanded money from me. <laughs> Actually, I got more out of the people by being nice because the, the, the income level of people who go to one of those stores, yeah. it's one or two levels. It's either somebody who's coming into a town and only going to stay three or four months or it's low income and they're paying $10 a week for a couch. Yeah. So if they get behind at $10 a week, it's hard times. And you really don't push people like that. You know, they're doing the best they can. And I was actually the head CSM in the country, credit service manager. 
wow. in the country for rental center the four years that I was with them. So what happens when you achieve that kind of status? Do you end up training people? No, they gave me a watch. <laughs> was it an ice watch? Was it? <laughs> it was a pulsar. So, oh, okay. <laughs> on the dial, I couldn't even wear it out because on the dial it said rental center. Was the was the watch repoed from someone? That would be irony, wouldn't probably. it? Probably. Knowing rental center, yes, probably. <laughs> so with um with tops, because. I mean, you, you'll have heard of these legends contracts that WWE throw out now. I know Wendy Richter's under one, and um, a couple of the ladies uh, from your time period are under a legends contract. But the Tops deal is like a a different deal, like strictly for trading cards. Yeah, I'm and it's strictly with Tops. It has I have no association with the WWE whatsoever. Is that by choice? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, definitely by choice. Uh, what what Vinny Jr. has done, notice I said Vinny, not Vincent. Mm -hmm. What Vinny Jr. has done to my business is disgusting. And I'm just one of those people that principle means more to me than money. I understand that, yeah. And I would never... I'm I'm almost 60 years old. I I've had all the fame in the world. I don't need fame by being associated with that man. Um he he has he has wrecked in my personal opinion the reputation of professional women wrestlers in the United States. I mean that's obviously uh, you know a huge statement and there's been various um I know we're jumping around quite a lot here, but the, uh, there's been a lot of periods of women's wrestling since, you know, you unfortunately, um, you know, your career was ended in 1984. So were you feeling that at the time leading into the rock and wrestling period or was it much later on during the prom? I mean, obviously the brown panties matches, et cetera, no good at all. But at this point, it does seem that they are really trying with really athletic um, women who take their craft more seriously. I would say. Right. Um, no, when I was in the business, there were people like Judy Martin, uh, Wendy Richter. Yeah. You know, she was doing the Cindy, her Cindy Lauper agreed to be her manager. And to me, that was very cool because Cindy Lauper was very popular in young music, you know, and I was kind of young at the time too. <laughs> so, but, um, no, I really didn't get disgusted with wrestling until uh, I got up one night and happened to turn on my TV and I saw wrestling. And it happened to be when uh, Vinny had taken the crew to Kuwait because our boys were in Kuwait at the time and were entertaining the soldiers. Mm -hmm. And they were having this big thing about there was going to be a competition between three women. And I'm sorry, I can't remember their names at this time. Mm -hmm. And Triple H was dressed up like Santa Claus. And whoever won the competition was going to be Santa's little helper between these three women. So I sat down. I All right, we're going to have a wrestle-off. We're going to have these two women are going to wrestle. Whoever wins this one is going to wrestle the third. And whoever wins that is Santa's little helper. They came out of the ring. Or they came went to come out to the ring. Of course, they had little short Santa's coats on which were just cute as could be and 
I'm expecting to see a wrestling match and they throw off these coats and these three women have three triangles and butt floss on. Mm -hmm. And they proceeded to dance in the ring. The only thing that was missing was the pole. Right. Yeah. And that was the last day that I ever watched. Uh, WWE WWF wrestling. I almost put my foot through my deep DLP. Wow, but it's kind of a it's an odd thing because different generations regard the period that they grew up in is probably the best period. So those who grew up in the late nineties, I mean, I don't, you know, that whole late nineties where everything got really adult and you know it started there was almost too much nonsense at that point. It didn't age very well, but a lot of people may say that about the early 90s, WWF in particular, when there was the cartoony characters, etc. And it's kind of it's kind of a weird thing that, like, I don't know, it's kind of weird now that you, you will speak with someone who's maybe 20 years old who didn't even grow up in the late 90s. And they're, like, calling me a granddad because, you know, they're, like, go back to the late 90s when you... And I'm just like, what? Like, that that was only five minutes ago as far as I'm concerned. But at the same time, I was always more interested in the much... I hate to say older when I'm speaking with a lady such as your fine self. But, um, the, the sort of, you know, the stuff from that time period because there was a lot more credibility to it. And um, it it's a shame that it doesn't get celebrated more, I would say. Well... It's what you said was true. I mean, like I said, I came up with uh, women like Wendy Richter, Joyce Grable, Judy Martin, Velvet McIntyre, uh, mm. Leilani Kai. Tough uh, ladies. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, being in the ring with them, the crowd, the crowd liked our matches. And we didn't have to do any TNA to you know, yeah. To get their interest, we were in there doing solid wrestling. Um, what I saw, there was no wrestling to it, and it was more, like I said, it was more of a TNA a show. Um, the women, in in my opinion, were cookie cutters. They didn't know the difference between a hammerlock and a headlock. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it just it was. In my opinion, it was just it was degrading my sport. It was degrading women yeah. on a continual basis. On that same show that I saw that night, there was a spot where Vinny's husband uh Vinny's husband <laughs> <laughs> Vinny's wife, Linda, was doing an interview with one of the other managers. And he was telling her that Vinny had done this, Vinny had done that. And he grabs her by the arm and they're going upstairs. He says, and now you're going to pay for it. Yeah. That to me was beyond, beyond degrading. I agree. And and the thing is with a lot of that stuff, a lot of the sketches, etc. luckily they are not the things that are remembered. Um, you know, because every every period has its great matches as well. And it seems like, you know, by the in quotations real fans, those are the things that get remembered for the right reasons. You know, we may look back and laugh or cringe at some of those scenes now, but um, you know, it, it but I think 
that's the sad thing about you know our generation like my generation is that we can't look back on you know the 70s and the 60s and into the mid 80s and really remember you know just classic championship matches in that way or you know or great feuds or those who drew a crowd you know someone like Leilani Kai I think it's just I don't think it's appreciated how great someone like that was or yourself because okay maybe you weren't doing the hurricane runners off the top rope and stuff like that but the reaction that you got from a crowd with what you did and you got them to believe what you were doing and you drew money you know i think that those aspects are kind of lost in a lot of young people's views of what makes a great wrestler now you know, I think it's more about what moves you can do in the ring and stuff like that. But it's just like the moves are quickly forgotten. And I think it's the personalities and the storytelling in the match that well, transcends. I know. mean, we can point right, right at Rowdy Roddy Piper mm-hmm. with his personality, with Piper's pit. On top of that, he could wrestle. He had what we, we call the combination. He was yeah. charismatic. He was a heck of a wrestler, and he was a heck of a heel. And nobody, even you say the kids today, don't remember. A lot of these young people, I'm talking to them on Facebook since I've come back into the business, do remember Roddy Piper. And the way they remember him is through YouTube. This is true, yeah. Um, And a lot of times when a kid will come up and he or she will have something derogatory to say. I'll just point to YouTube and say, go watch. Go watch Leilani Kai's matches with Judy Martin or with me or with Joyce Grable. You know, go go watch Velvet McIntyre's matches. Go watch Rowdy Roddy Piper and the Hulk feud. Yeah. Uh, the greatest feud that I remember, what, and it's because it's from my childhood, <laughs> and what really got me seriously interested in wrestling was the Buddy Rose, Rowdy, Roddy Piper feud in the Pacific Northwest. Yes, I've seen clips. Yeah, I haven't yes. seen too much, but I have seen clips, yeah. Have you, well, Buddy Rose literally showed his butt in one of those matches. <laughs> <laughs> He, that's the thing, he was kind of um, one of those heels that could main event, do comedy, but also make it, you know, not stick out like a sore thumb. It wasn't just like silly ha-ha wrestling. It was like, he looked like Buddy Rose, which is like, you know, and he's the playboy with all the ladies and everything. But it's just like, how do you get all those women? And, but it worked and you could laugh at him, but you could also take him seriously as a wrestler as well if he got control in the match and believe that he could win a match as well. It's a fine well, line, I find. Like, yeah, there is. There, uh, you, You've got to know where to draw the line. Mm-hmm. And today, I think that they've forgotten where that line is. Instead of a line in concrete, you've got a line in sand. And people keep stepping over that line. And what I see with the wrestling fans today, they want to believe they want to be brought back into the ring. They want to be, they want to be, as we call her, ringside Rosie, the old woman with the cane, who yeah. used to, and and every territory had one. You know, if the heel came out of the ring and he was beating up the good guy, he knew he went to that side of the ring because he knew she was going to smack him with the cane, and the crowd was going to go nuts. 
There's that, um, I wish I could remember a name. It, you were probably there. It was in Madison Square Garden on like on a monthly basis. That old lady, Mrs. I, I wish I could remember her name. She would wipe the salt away when Fuji would fl- throw the salt at right, one side. Right. And, you know, and, and she was the most over person in the match. The crowd would go wild. Right. <laughs> and we she's had- like... We had one of those in Portland, and that's you know that's where I got tangled up with wrestling, and but she had a cane, and like I said, they knew Rip Oliver, mm-hmm. even Piper when he was a heel. If things were going really good and the babyface was getting his tail kicked, and she was up and she'd be shaking that cane, and they knew go to that side of the ring if they wanted a pop. Because she's gonna smack him with that cane. Yeah, our Piper was fearless. I mean, there's a there's a picture that's been making the rounds of Piper walking to the ring at a WWF show, and there's a mother with a child. I mean, she must be mid thirties maybe, and she's giving them the finger <laughs> right in his face with the child. <laughs> you know, <it's> just... <laughs> well, and see, the point the point that you were trying to make was right there. Yeah. Piper didn't have to say a word. Yeah. All he had to do was walk out to the ring, and he got heat. You know, all he had to do was blow once on the bagpipes. You know, uh, Buddy Rose was the same way. Buddy, just the way he walked, and with the robe, with the playboy on the back, you know, really, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, that's the thing as well. It's a, it's a fine line as well, because anyone in the audience probably thought they could beat up Buddy Rose. As well, so you probably had to draw that fine line to stop them from hopping the rail and actually, you know, <laughs> with a weapon actually, or something. Actually, a few people made that mistake. I actually had, I was wrestling Wendy Richter, and we actually had a gentleman make that mistake. Oh. Um, I had thrown Wendy out of the ring, and this guy came up with a pair of cowboy boots and stopped her in a very personal place with those cowboy boots. Mm-hmm. And I came out of the ring and he, he was escorted out by security and he was arrested. Uh, but even though Wendy and I were feuding, it was my job to protect her. She was down and this fan had no right to put his hands on her. No, that's my job. Yeah. So, you know, um, that the, tells the, you what kind of heat Wendy Richter had before she, uh, got with uh cindy lopper <laughs> <laughs> and and the thing is though back then the the barricades weren't exactly sometimes it would just be a, a piece of rope around you know so it was that easy just to hop it and get into the ring if you wanted to i guess in portland up through the 80s there was there wasn't even any rope right there was no barrier at all um like I said, there's been there's been a few people up in the Pacific Northwest that have made that mistake, and it sends a message. And that's one of the things when I was training that I was told by Sandy Barr is, I don't care how big he is, he or she is, I don't care how tough they are, if you can't take them down when they face you, you've got no business in this ring. Yeah. You and, know, and... and- but the thing is, as well, you would hear stories about the there wouldn't be real cops sometimes. There would be like mall cops or like sort of local security, and they'd be really old and they wouldn't really be able to do that much, especially against a riot crowd as well. Um, well, 
it once again I can only I can only speak for my day. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course in the Pacific Northwest because that's where I came up and came into the business at. Uh, our we had one security guard that I remember and I believe his name was Dwayne. Uh-huh. And if he weighed an ounce, he weighed 350 pounds. And all he had to do was sit on you, and it was all over and done. <laughs> <laughs> so who, when you were in the, uh, in the Pacific Northwest, who was the traveling NWA champion at that time? Oh, Lord. Um, that was jumping back and forth between, I believe, Rip Oliver, Buddy Rose, and Dutch Savage. And on the side, you had the feud with Buddy Rose and 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 Roddy Piper, um, the uh, uh, Bushwhackers, uh, Luke Sheep and Otis. Yeah. yeah, were there. Um, oh Lord, there was Dale Lewis, Dutch Savage. Um, oh shoot, Stan Stasiak. Oh yeah. Uh, that. If you've never met him, you missed one of the greatest, greatest, kindest gentlemen in the world. So uh, did, did he wrestle as a, as a face or a heel where you were? Uh, he was a I'm, heel. I'm guessing he was a heel wherever he went, because yeah. a lot of people know the name through his son, Sean. Uh, but also, you know, he was WWF champion for like, a, what, nine days as the transitional champion for uh, Bruno uh, to win the belt. Um, oh wow! Um, so did like did Andre pass through at that time? Uh, Andre did a short t- tour. Um, I believe he was. I believe Piper at that time had uh, turned babyface because of the feud with Buddy Rose. And him and Andre actually, I remember us printing out pictures of him and Andre. And anybody who wants to talk, and there's been a lot of controversy on this about how tall. Uh, Andre really was. I mm-hmm. go find this picture of Roddy Piper and Andre. Roddy's looking up, and Roddy's six foot tall. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. They would always, they would never put Andre in the ring with someone who was nearly as tall as him because they didn't want to give away any, um, you know, like Ernie Ladd or someone like that. You know, he was legit probably six nine, six ten, and he was probably close to Andre with the hair and everything as well. You know. Well, and, and well, they did put him up against Anoki in Japan. This yes, this is very true. See, Japan's. See, I think because they, you know, a lot of Americans wouldn't have seen anything that happened in Japan. I think that's kind of its own. It feels like its own thing where. You could have the battle of the Godzillas, basically, and you know, yes. it, um, and it was almost like a dream match. So, I mean, and did you, when you wrestled in Japan, did you feel like you had to change your style at all? I had to speed up okay. a whole lot. Um, there was, if you wanted a break in the match, uh, you had to throw somebody out of the ring. Because the entire time you were in the ring, it was running, bumping. Everything that I'm yelling about now that's happening in the United States about the bump, 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 that uh, was Japan. <laughs> but it's always said that it's been, you know, it's always 10 or 15 years ahead of America in terms of style and everything like that. I mean, was it was it hard to 
call a match in the ring? Like, did you have the quiet crowds that was sort of appreciate and applaud and appreciative of everything, but they were quiet, so you, it, it was hard to do things? Or? Well, no, it wasn't that hard because uh, you couldn't hear the crowd because the first time I went to Japan, the first thing Mimi Higawara told me was, you scream during the whole match. Okay. <laughs> so that you makes know, up for the lack of uh, crowd interaction, right. and, I guess. And okay. things were going so fast, and we really didn't call. I'm from the era we didn't really call things. Okay. Yeah. You know, we had we had we had worked with each other so much that you know, if if somebody picked me up by the arm, grabbed me by the back of the hair, and pulled me backwards, I knew they wanted me to go backwards into the ropes, and they were going to throw me. Mm-hmm. Um, today they talk about everything, you know, that, that I've been in a few dressing rooms and they're over a two hour period. They're discussing every move in a 15 minute match. And then when they, when they, when they make a mistake, they stop like, Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nothing. Get, that's the thing I, I've always heard from wrestlers. If someone makes a mistake in the ring and misses a move, kick them in the head. You know, don't just stand there like, you know, um, as long as you're not hurt or go for a pin or something like that. You know, they're down on the floor. So it makes sense to keep them down. But um, oh, yeah, that's happened with me. You know, if you there's one of the matches between Joyce, uh, Wendy and Velvet and I, I screwed up the very first thing we did in the ring. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to tell you which match it was or what I messed up. I'm going to make you go find it on YouTube. Okay, that's my homework now. Okay, I tell you what, this one of my favorite matches is um, ladies' matches is um, it's Judy Martin against Joyce Grable. It's a uh, WWF match, and uh, Joyce gets thrown out of the ring and lands in Gorilla Monsoon's lap, and uh-huh. Gorilla, Gorilla picks her up like King Kong, <laughs> like places her back in the ring. But they, I mean, they outworked everyone on that card. They fought into the crowd. They were doing. Every, the crowd work. They, I mean, whether they felt like they had to win the audience over that night uh, or not, because it was maybe a dead crowd or something like that. But they did it, and they, I would recommend anyone checks out that match. It's on the network if uh, no one has seen it. But yeah, yeah. Well, you just met, mentioned two of the greatest women wrestlers, and hmm. I respect both of them. Judy Martin and I are now friends. Uh, still, you know, thirty five yeah. years later. But I used to love going on the road with Judy because Judy was a fantastic wrestler. When, so generally, I think that the, the perception is, um, and we're not going to really talk about Mueller or anything like that, but the, the perception is, is that the ladies would travel in a group around the country, you know, because they were more of an attraction for the territory. They didn't stay in the territory for too long. Would that be correct? That's absolutely correct. Um, other than when I came up in the Pacific Northwest, there I go again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if if we went into a territory, it was no more than two, three weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember one year that Wendy and I, we never saw our house for nine months, and we went to Japan. Then we came back, went through the territory of New York, went to Puerto Rico, went to San Santo Domingo, went to Trinidad, then we went back to Japan, and then we came to Texas. And we hadn't seen we hadn't seen our house that we rented from Mula um, in yeah. nine months. So, w- when you're traveling around the world like that, is it would it be easy to have the same kind of match? 
because they haven't seen it? Or did you purposely try and include new things all the time to freshen things up for yourself as much as anything else? Well, having the same kind of match was really hard because we didn't call the match. You yeah, know, okay. it was it. Our matches depended on the crowd. The, this is true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if if you got in the ring and me being the baby face going over and it's not working. All right. Well, it's time for the baby face to get her tail kicked. And mm -hmm. I, you know, flip flop on the mat for 10 minutes while Judy or Joyce or Wendy, you know, put the boots to me. Um, and you just never knew. We knew when we walked out there, we knew the first thing we were going to do was lock up and maybe the move after that. We knew what the quote unquote comeback was, you know, where the heels beating the snot out of the baby face and then the baby face makes the comeback and we knew who was going over. But as for the rest of the match, you know, in a 10 minute match, nine minutes and 50 seconds was not planned. Uh -huh. it, it, it came it all, like I said, and I'll say it again, it depended on the crowd. But, well, speaking of that, um, you mentioned that you wrestled in Puerto Rico, and I've seen footage and I've heard stories about how violent those crowds could get. Um, would they be the most rabid fans that you wrestled in front of, in terms of... Actually, you know, you, you would see, you would. I've seen footage of bottles being thrown. Like, there's the stories that they would bring knives. I mean, like just all kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The guys had more problem with that than the girls. Uh, by the time we got over there, uh, Cologne had finally started putting some security up. Uh, <laughs> Good. <laughs> now, yeah. I was, I was. What, what, if you don't mind me asking, um, oh, I was going to say, would that have been after Brody, after the murder? But you were wrestling, that you was retired before, before Brody. That yeah. was about a year before Brody. Uh, Brody, I believe, was killed in 85, correct? I think it was 88. I could be wrong, but I think it was 88, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, see, I was completely out of touch with wrestling during that period. When I came back, it really shocked me to find out how many wrestlers had died. Uh, yeah, time I was gone, and a lot um, of of everybody I came up with and that helped with my training in the Pacific Northwest. Um, Ed Wiskowski is still alive. Um, shoot, who else is still? I really can't remember anybody else that's still alive. Tommy Rogers is gone. Buddy Rose is gone. Roddy Piper's gone. Stan Stasiak, Dutch Savage, the man who trained me. Sandy Barr, um, Art Barr, his son, who I knew well, gone. I mean, Sean Barr, yeah. gone. Um, and it's just, you know, I found out someone when I came back to Facebook. Oh, well, we'll, we'll certainly talk about that a little. But, uh, yeah, sorry, I shouldn't really interrupt. This is a, I'm a bad podcast, you see. Um, <laughs> in terms of um, violent crowds, then, where did Puerto Rico rank at that point? Or was it? Well, I was I was uh, the baby face there. Wendy was the heel. Um, mm -hmm. But like I said, Cologne had good wrestling. Now, when we went to Santo Domingo, that was a whole different story. I was the heel there. And I, I, I am a heel at heart. Yeah. But because of the Indian gimmick, which I am true native. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you look at my first wrestling match, 
basically everything I was wearing, including the moccasin boots, were already in my closet. Yeah. I just put wrestling heels on the moccasin boots. But anyway, we get to Santo Domingo, and their vice president had died. And I'm going to get to be the heel. <laughs> my dream has come true. And we went to do a radio interview because their vice president had died. They'd postponed my match for three days. And the guy started asking questions. He said, well, what do you think of Santo Domingo? I said, it's a dirty little country with dirty little people. And how dare you, just because some vice president dies, you postpone my match after begging me to come here for five years? And I didn't see the translator in the background waving his arms <laughs> after the slash because yeah. it was a live radio interview. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> That's um, <laughs> suffice it to say, this vice president that passed away was as much adored as Ronald Reagan or JFK was here. I had no clue. Mm -hmm. When we got to the matches, the first time I went out, they let me go out with two security guards, which did nothing because <laughs> people were trying to cut my pigtails off with scissors. Mm. I'd get in the ring, they were throwing oranges. And I don't mean those little oranges we have. These were the size of softballs. It's quite inventive throwing oranges, I guess. Like, you know. Well, that worked up until one day I got slick and I caught one and I happened to zone in on the guy that was throwing at me. And when I threw it back, I got lucky and I bounced it right off his forehead. Beautiful. <laughs> That's <laughs> as far as vicious... To me, Santo uh, Domingo, because they did, they wanted to kill me. They had, by the time I got done, by the third night we were there and all the crowds were sellouts, they had seven security guards around me. Wow, and these like, like, a, like a human ball, just like exactly, bringing you to the ring. Right, okay. Yeah. Exactly, like a human wall. And they were still getting their hands through. I would get in the ring and I'd have pinch marks all over my arms and legs. Uh -huh. Because they were getting through and they were twisting, doing that, the purple norpro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just, um, um, that's another thing that's sort of like, we don't, we don't get good riots anymore, <laughs> you know. Um, like, there's the story of uh, Blackjack Lanza, who someone brought a knife in, from his hip all the way down to his knee, just cut it, but they dipped it in either pig fat or they pissed on it, and it infected the right. wound. You know, or Freddie Blassie, who got a hard boy or soft boy leg threw off his face, it blinded him in one eye and stuff like that. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, well, but yeah, and, um, and who who was it? Um, well, Roddy Piper was stabbed seven different times. Oh, that doesn't shock me <laughs> to be fair, though. Me either. Um, yeah. uh, one of the women, what what was her name? One of the women was stabbed. And I want to say it was Beverly Shade, but I'm not sure right now. It was of that era. It was in the late 50s, early 60s. The women's matches used to draw tremendous heat like that. There were there were a couple of women that went through some serious things, too. Mm -hmm. well, with the, um, I hate to say character, but with Princess Victoria wearing the, you know, the Native American uh, stuff, d did you run into... 
racial issues? Like, were you getting, like, racial abuse? So, like, depending on the territory or... No, I never really had a problem uh, with the Native Native American attire um, other than people saying, I don't like your gimmick, it's offensive. Excuse me, I happen to be Native American. Yeah. I'm dressing as a Native American. And then uh, just a couple years ago, uh, there was this website that they used to, you know, catch wrestlers at bad times. Uh-huh. And they'd put, you know, this this photo that was just not not good at all on. And they put me on there, and I'm not going to mention their name because I'm not giving it any publicity. Mm-hmm. They put me up, and I had this blue dress on that was more of a Renaissance period dress than a Native dress. Mm-hmm. And I found they just trashed me just because I was wearing a blue dress. I said, so I guess because I'm native, I can only wear buckskin, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, how did you feel about people like Chief J. Strongbow adopting those kind of, you know, personas and people since I mean, there have been real Native American, you know, at least people with some blood in Native American blood in them, like Tatanka, etc. But there are some that have kind of bastardized the Native American thing and have just, you know, well, does that does that offend you? Like, no, okay. because to me, and a lot of, a lot of people are offended that aren't Native. <laughs> yeah. You know, which, excuse me. Um, to me, mimicry is the sincerest form of flattery, and if they're mimicking a native they've had to learn something about native americans i would hope so because i mean i've seen some i've seen some cultural appropriation gimmicks well um, if played yeah, really if, badly <laughs> over in, time, in you know? order to get a headdress like strongbow or youngblood or steamboat war mm-hmm. you had to get those from a native Th- those aren't just anywhere you would have to go to a native to get it yeah so they had to learn about native somehow and if they did nothing they were making people more aware of the native culture so that's i've got to say one thing about um any native american wrestlers or characters um especially ones that actually wwf have uh, portrayed which is quite strange for them considering how politically incorrect they can be uh with like religious characters or gay characters or you know they're all evil but you never see an evil native american character which is which is a good thing i mean you know because i think they would get so much heat as a company if they put uh, a native uh, american out there and you were told to boo them you know well we've still got the se- sympathy from when the white guys came over here and stole our land so there's there is that you know <laughs> Yeah, but knowing Vince, though, you can you can imagine a heel being like all, um, I don't know, just self righteous about that, thinking that you now owe me, and now I am, you know. Well, yeah, and actually, you bringing this forward, we had heel native tribes, you know, the Mohicans, okay. <laughs> you know, the Cherokee. Uh, they fought back against the American government. Mm-hmm. So it it could be done, but I would not want Vinny to be the one who did it. <laughs> uh, I, I think he's one step away from doing it when you see people like Donald Trump in their Hall of Fame and stuff like that. I mean, is that 
part of the would that be a major reason for you to never accept a hall of fame invite from wwe well no the main reason i wouldn't accept an invite from the wwe is because i hold vinnie mcmahon personally responsible for owen hart's death for eddie guerrero um, everybody bl- blames it on Vince Russo because he came up with the idea to drop Owen from 90 feet in the air into the ring. But in the in the long run, ultimately, it was Vinny who had to say, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And, well, sorry. And, and I just don't see... I don't see why you would put somebody in that kind of predicament just to bring him in the ring. It has nothing to do with wrestling. You know, what, what, how many people never went back to a wrestling match that were at that match that night? Yeah, well, I mean, it was the height of, well, not the height of popularity overall, but it was very popular at that time. And I imagine a lot would have just came back the next time, you know. Kemper Uh, Arena where it was held sold out a lot of times after that as well and it was kind of i always found it weird i always found it weird that wwf would go back there um wcw went there later that year and did an own tribute match with bret hart against chris benoit you know um but it was a tribute match for own um but i I, it's kind of a weird thing I, i i guess if camera phones were around at that time um and would have caught the whole thing. I think WWF, WWE would be in a very different situation than it is now. It may not even be around anymore because, you know, that's a live, a real-time death that people are seeing and stuff like that. I think, you know, um, it's one of those... I'm wondering about the parents who brought their kids, the older people, you know, that saw a man die in the ring. Okay, yeah, no, I can imagine that that would have... Well, the thing... I'm, in the context of the time, though, I mean, it, it's such a weird thing that, you know, it's very hard to shock a wrestling fan, I think. Because, you know, if you just watch the Dark Side of the Ring documentaries, wrestling fa- a lot of wrestling fans know about a lot of this stuff. I think the Dark Side of the Ring served the purpose in bringing a lot of these subjects to a wider audience. And I feel that that's who they may have shocked you know but during the late 90s in wrestling everything had to be bigger and better and just grander bigger entrances and that's why the own heart thing happened because it was you know they hit a wall at that point and they couldn't do any more you know grander than that and I, I, I just think that a lot of parents who brought their kids to that show I don't know. I think it's a hard thing to try and get kids to stop liking wrestling, especially when it is the most popular thing in the world at the time. And, you know, maybe they would have grown out of it naturally. I, I really, it, it's such a weird thing. WWF audiences are, you know, it's it's a such a vast thing, if you get what I mean. Like, I don't know. I know, I know we're differing on opinions on this, but um, yeah. I just have a feeling that a lot of them would have come back the next time. Like, really. Um, well, see, you're educating me, and I don't have a problem with that. You know, um, I'm always looking for more information. Like I told you, I quit wa- watching in 87. Between 87 and when, and when I've caught, like, you know, Kelly Klein on ROH, you know, Su- Sumi. Uh, I've just started watching probably in the last couple of years and catching some of their matches. 
Um, but I, I wasn't watching during that period, and I didn't know how grandiose they had gotten. You know, in my, in once again, in my day, <laughs> <laughs> putting on your robe and walking to the ring, you know, or the biggest thing, riding a Harley to the ring or riding a horse to the ring. That was the biggest thing. You know, in my or, or wrestling Jennifer the bear. <laughs> Did you wrestle the bear? Yes, and I lost. <laughs> in fact, I still have a scar on the inside of my right nostril where I made the mistake of putting my head too close to her cage while she was caged up. And she tried to pick my nose. <laughs> she was hungry, I guess. Um, I guess she was. Yeah, I've interviewed Sam Houston. He wrestled an alligator, and by the time it got to the arena, the alligator was dead. So they had to pretend you had to roll around with the alligator to sort of try and have a match with it. Oh my! So basically, you wrestled a broom. <laughs> you basically yes, but the crowd went wild for it and stuff like that. So in terms of, um, okay, you. I, I hate to bring this up, but you get injured in 84 and WWF is really expanding nationally at that point. Um, did you feel the national expansion at that point? And did it really, did it get to you that by the time WrestleMania came around the next year, MTV, all that kind of thing, did you really miss not being a part of that or were you just immediately out of it? I went back to Moolah's Hill. I was there for about two or three months. And she'd come over to my apartment and once a week or so, and she'd take me into the ring and see if I could take a bump without screaming. Mm. Um, I left the arena in Pennsylvania in a in an ambulance. Uh, they told me if I didn't have an operation an operation on my neck that I'd never lift over twenty pounds again. Three months later, I had went to Amsterdam to visit one of the fans Mula had set me up with, and when I came back. She said, well, it looks like you're not going to ever wrestle again. You owe me three months back rent. I'll take your two outfits, your yellow outfit and your brown outfit for the rent. And you either need to pay me uh, this month's rent or you need to get out. And at that point, my heart was broken because I wasn't used to people like Mula. I was used to my brothers that I grew up with in the Pacific Northwest where when I broke my collarbone, they were right there. I was sent to the doctor. I didn't see a doctor's bill. I was still paid for my matches until I could wrestle again. Um, I wasn't used to that. And when Mula did that to me, I just went, I went, as you said, to the dark side of the ring. I just, I left. I didn't call anybody. I didn't call any of my brothers. I didn't call Velvet. I didn't call anybody. I just disappeared. And uh, it, yeah, it hurt. Uh, it didn't hurt so much that I broke my neck. If it had been handled properly, I could have been a valet. I could yeah. have been, I could have gone opposite Sherry Martell as a manager. Because Sherry and I had a great repertoire. You know, we were, we were good friends. And a lot of people who don't know Sherry, Sherry had a heart of gold. And I could work with her. But Mula didn't see that. She just decided she needed her $300 a month rent and I needed to go. And, you know, I, I again, don't want to spend 
too long on the whole dark side of the ring and Mueller and everything, but the the story, you know, you tell the story about how Mueller told everyone that you were in prison. Um, and so, so at that point though, do you have to kayfabe it? And like, did you know that story at the time or were you just kind oh, of, Oh no, no. When I, when I left Mula's, it was probably January of 85. I did not talk to anybody until I talked to velvet in, it was when I moved. I probably talked to velvet in 1990 mm-hmm. the first time. Because I, I did have her mom's number and I got a hold of her. She didn't tell me at the time that was going on. I actually didn't find out about what Mula had told people until 2013. Oh, wow. Okay. And when I, and, and by that time, uh, when I found that out, it was like, really? You're not telling people that I broke my neck that I can't wrestle anymore. You're telling people, you're telling my family that I broke that I got busted dealing cocaine and I'm in prison. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? And and she wasn't even there for me to go off on. <laughs> I couldn't get in the car and drive to South Carolina and say, Are you kidding me? Yeah. What were you so scared of? Were you scared that the girls would find out how you did me when I got hurt and that they might be looking for somebody else to take care of them other than you? Mm-hmm. There's no there's no reason for her to have told. And she didn't just tell the girls. She told promoters. She told wrestlers. You know, God knows what Buddy and Roddy, who were good friends of mine, went to their deathbeds thinking because they were dead before I had a chance to get back in touch with them. Yeah. So, um, when you sort of get back into wrestling, I mean, what was the impetus behind that? Was it finding out this information and was it kind of wanting to set your own, to set the record straight on a lot of things? Well, not at first. Okay. Um, at first, when I got into wrestling, when I got back into wrestling, a, a gentleman and and I use that term loosely, in Connecticut had approached me about doing a documentary on the ladies of the '80s. You know, Joyce Grable, Wendy Richter, uh, Judy Martin, myself, the whole crew. Um, and I proceeded to uh, go to a few reunions and a few signings. And got in touch with a lot of the lady wrestlers and did interviews with this gentleman. Uh, Even had Bill Moody on tape two days before he died, which was more than likely the last piece of film ever taken of Bill Moody. And this gentleman not only ended up stealing all of the interviews and the film, but he ended up stalking me for three years. And when he started stalking me, I had mentioned it on Facebook. And all of a sudden, here comes all my brothers. And by brothers, I mean professional wrestlers who I'd wrestled with 30, 35 years ago. Uh, Vicky, if you give me your address, I will go take care of this. <laughs> yeah. and for, I tailed him off for three years. And then one morning at three o'clock in the morning, my phone rings and I go to answer the phone and it's this radio podcast. And this idiot had told them that I had not broke my neck, that I got fired because I was drunk in the ring all the time. Oh, 
that is when I got on Facebook uh-huh. and I said, you know, boys, I said, don't normally let y'all handle my problems, but he's yours. <laughs> and I kid you not, not 15 minutes later, I got a call from a police officer in Connecticut. And I had I had my cell phone and it said Connecticut police. I, I won't say what town. Yeah. And I answered the phone. I said, I bet you're calling me about uh, this man. I won't mention his name. Uh-huh. Um, and the officer went, well, yes, I am. I said, did, you t- did he tell you about all the hell he's given me the last three years? I said, and is he kind of upset because my brothers have let him know that either it stops or he stops? Mm. Obviously, this guy knew the person because the cops started laughing. I mean, (laughs) he busted out laughing. He said, just tell him to be careful what they say on the phone because he's now recording the phone calls. I said, thank you, sir, and hung up the phone. I haven't heard from that guy again. (laughs) (laughs) See, when um, so just to be clear as well, like you know, a guy from Connecticut wants to make a wrestling documentary. Did he misrepresent himself as working for WWE or was he? Oh, no, he, no, he did not misrepresent himself. He, he, it, he had made a few small films mm. um, and he had some good ideas. I listened to him for a while. Um, it's my fault that I got ripped off because I did not have him sign a contract. Okay, and 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 the thing is as well, if you hadn't really done any um, appearances or anything in that long period of time, were you just? I mean, you know, no contract, but were you just kind of naive to the whole bookings now in terms of like, yes, conventions, ab- etc. Ab- absolutely yeah. correct. I I was very naive. Um, the one thing that did happen, however, is this gentleman when I went to the Gulf Coast Wrestling Reunion. He got in the door because I was there. And that's the only reason he got in the door, because at the Gulf Coast Wrestling Reunion, there are no fans. Mm -hmm. You're either a referee, a wrestler, a promoter, a booker, or family of such. The only reason he got his camera in there is because he was with me. And when 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 he finally let me know that, this documentary wasn't going to happen with me. I told him, I said, that's fine. I said, but any piece of film that you have with me doing the interview or because I was with you, you got into that venue, you are not able to use because Mm -hmm. I am not giving you my permission to use it. So I've effectively killed documentary. It doesn't mean I don't want to still do the documentary. I just killed his. He ended up selling the film, I believe, to somebody involved in the WWE for $15,000. And it was put on a shelf. And the reason that it was put on a shelf is because there was one question that I asked every person that I did an interview with. If you could change one thing in the history of wrestling, what would it be? And with no exception except one person, everyone that we interviewed said the day that Senior sold 
the WWF <laughs> to Junior. And that's without see, exception. I can see why that's been put on a shelf. <laughs> WWE's, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, this is why um, that 2017 Topps trading card set, you know, because they have, like I mentioned before, they have legends contracts that they give out to people who've worked there for a long time. And, you know, you always see um, a trading card of Bret Hart or British Bulldog, etc. But the 2017 set, there was there was yourself, there was um, there was Wendy, there was Leilani, and there was Judy in this trading card set with autographs and everything. And it was just like, finally, this period of women's wrestling is being acknowledged. I mean, the only person that isn't in that set is Velvet, which I wish she was a part of that. Uh, but I know how she feels about a lot of current wrestling as well. You've talked to her, I see. I, <laughs> I've talked to her. I've asked her to do a podcast, and she's like, yeah, um, she's uh, she very has, forthright, you know. Well, she, ha she has a problem with her hearing, too, which she's had since she was a child. Uh -huh. So being on the phone and doing an interview for her um, and the fact of how things ended with Moolah with her, I mean, I'm not the only woman that was messed over by Moolah. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Velvet got a bad taste in her mouth. You know, she'll go to a local show, but as far I've told her, I said, Velvet, if you and I show up now together, mm -hmm. it's a sellout. And, and a you both still look like you could kick anyone's ass at this point well i'm not, I'm not sure what to say thank you or smack you <laughs> see there you go though that's there's a saltiness <laughs> that comes of experience you see uh that you're not going to take shit from anyone and uh you know <laughs> no you don't because well it's always been if you allow somebody and this is one of my favorite sayings if you allow somebody to disrespect you once you're teaching them how to treat you mm -hmm. uh, and and <laughs> The, the great thing, again, about that trading concept, there must have been someone at Tops who grew up a fan of, you know, ladies I, wrestling from the 70s and 80s and made that uh, that phone call. I, I couldn't I couldn't believe it when they called me. I, I'll tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> uh, it was, I thought, believe it or not, until the guy showed up, number one, with the check. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they they had this guy sit there because they have to give a coa with the card with my signature he sat there and watched me sign everyone up until the moment he knocked on the door i thought it was a rib <laughs> well how did how did they find you because i'm what i've noticed is that wrestlers such as yourself will come on facebook and uh, what i'm guessing is everyone just comes like that onto your profile and you get messages, you get comments, you know, everyone's glad to see you get a ton of interview requests. Was Is that how Tops found you on Facebook? As I recall, there was a gentleman who private messaged me and uh, you know, the attorney, uh, 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 Kairos. Divot. No, Kairos. Uh, oh, okay. That was doing the lawsuit against the WWE. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kairos. yeah. yeah. Um, this guy came up and messaged me on Facebook and gave me this phone number and all that. And I called the phone number, but I was still, I still believed it was a rib. And I said, and Bill had told me, you know, if there's any ever anything you need, I said, well, can you check this out and make sure it's the real deal? Mm -hmm. And, but yeah, that's how a lot of people, even some of my, 
second and third cousins have gotten back in touch with me through Facebook. So I can't that's win the lottery now because everybody knows where I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful, though. That and, and the thing is, did did it even occur to you that there was a fan, like still a rabid fan base out there for yourself and for everyone from your period, your time period? I'm still amazed. Yeah. 35 years ago. We're talking thir 36 years now. You know, September of this year will be 36 years that I have not been in the business. And people still remember my name. You know, they still, they still, they still watch the matches. And that was the big shocker is when I went on YouTube and found out how many of my matches were on YouTube. Uh-huh. And, and that's why I keep saying, you know, I'm talking to the fans out there. They're not into all this, what's going on today. They're telling me, a majority of the people are telling me they want to see the old matches like Buddy Rose and Roddy Piper, like Stan Stasiak. You know, they want, they, as they call it, they want real wrestling back. Mm -hmm. So well, that's the thing, you're, you're coming at this from a, you know, a, a more... A far more credible viewpoint than I am in terms of looking at fan bases and stuff like that. You're you're in the midst of it, and you see and get real opinions and feedback about what people want to see as well. Whereas I guess I'm kind of in a bit of a bubble with people my age who consider stuff from the early '90s now to be really old school stuff. And you know, right? Um, you know, they don't do right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that that is wonderful. So, um, and did you see yourself in the encyclopedia, the WWE encyclopedia? Oh, the first time I saw that, I like to fell over. <laughs> um, I, I was actually in Charlotte at the WrestleCon. I was there with uh, uh, Terry Allen, Magnum Magnum TA. Yeah. Um, little tidbit there. Uh, Terry and I knew each other before either one of us got into wrestling. And I actually was part of Terry's training after Buzz Sawyer uh, stole $10,000 from him. Oh, wow. Did he have the uh, did he have the mustache? Of course he did. He still had the hair on his chest, too. <laughs> did, so I'm guessing the ladies even back then. Loved oh Terry. yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> Would he rank up there for you in terms of you uh, know? Terry, let me tell you what Terry yeah. Terry is one. Him and Stan Stasiak stand stand out in my minds as two of the nicest guys I've probably ever met in my life, and perfect gentlemen. Yeah, you know when when I uh, when I called Terry when I got back on Facebook and I happened to see Magnum Ta. And I knew about the car wreck um, in 87. I had actually called him. Uh, he was not able to talk at the time. But, yeah, Terry, when I went to Charlotte, and I, I had Terry's kids because the twins, because Terry was doing all these book signings and all. And somebody walked up to me out of the blue. And how the hell they recognized me like I am today they had to be one heck of a fan and they opened this book and it's, you know, it's an encyclopedia of wrestlers and I'm in it. Mm -hmm. And he said, and he handed me 20 bucks. He said, here, sign this. I took the 20 bucks and I signed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is as well, you know, that encyclopedia introduced a lot of people to a lot of wrestlers. I mean, that introduced me to Mad Maxine. Um, and I consider myself a big fan, especially of that time period. And I had never even heard of Maxine at that time. And then I saw the picture and I, I was like, 
this looks amazing. I don't know who she is, but I need to find this six foot right. woman with a green mohawk and everything as well. And um, and we've become friends. You know, she's been over to Edinburgh uh, because she has family over here and we've hung out and stuff like that. And she's just wonderful and very supportive of what I do because she, she did her first interview for her book um, with me. And um, I was incredibly grateful um, for that, you know, well, you're you're more ahead of the game on that. I would love to meet her because we're friends on Facebook. But after listening to her interview with you and reading parts of her book, mm. similar um, experiences. Uh huh. You know, yeah, to say the yeah, least. That ought to tell you something. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you, you kind of pass like ships in the night, career-wise. Yeah. You know, she, she came in like eighty-four, eighty-five. I was going out, but see. When she was coming in, I was on the road literally 95% of the time. I'd come home for two or three days if I was lucky, and then I'd go back out. Yeah. And, you know, I'd go out with Wendy. Then I'd come back. I'd go out with Judy. Or me and Velvet would go out with uh, Joyce and Wendy. Or me and Sabrina would go out. You know, it, I was never home. But I would have met her because she, she sounds like somebody that we would get along well. Oh, absolutely. Who drank the most beers on the road out of all the ladies back in the day? Me. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, you have, do you have a favorite? Do you still partake? Uh, then, I used, then I used to drink Budweiser. Budweiser and Jack Daniels. Oh, nice. Okay. And you didn't put anything in the Jack Daniels? Just straight? Who's going to ruin good whiskey with ice cubes? <laughs> oh. That's... <laughs> I think that's probably a good place to end. That's, that could be a t-shirt, to be fair. Um, <laughs> that's not a bad idea. <laughs> that's not a bad idea. So you, um, you're you in charge of the uh, the Princess Victoria and Velvet McIntyre fan page on Facebook as well, which is extremely popular. And I, I mean, no one else is going to do it. So you have become like an archivist for your own work now, I guess. Well, which, and, you know. and I, well... Once again, uh, the gentleman who stalked me for three years actually created the website. Oh. But when he stole the when he stole the film, um, I'm kind of vindictive, and I kind of went up there because I was one of the administrators, and I kicked him off my page. <laughs> Quite rightly, yeah, I agree um, with that. I I do now, yeah. If I see new pictures of velvet or i and it doesn't matter if it's velvet wrestling by herself or whatever i try to put them up i try to archive all that like you said um and it it, the fans are helping me a lot actually because i went uh when i went to get some photos uh the jpegs weren't big enough to get eight by tens out of it and i i put a hey y'all do you have you know, one of these eight by tens that you can take a picture of and send it to me so that I can get copies. And my my email was flooded with yeah. people sending things to me. Did you accept the term lady wrestlers or women's wrestlers or, you know, because I always call, uh, you know, uh, the lady wrestlers of your generation, lady wrestlers, because that's what you are. And that's what it always said on the poster and everything. Um, is that what you prefer? Um, yes, I prefer anything but diva. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. To me, is offensive. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry to the divas in wrestling, but I'm not a diva. I'm not a cookie cutter. No. And and the thing is, though, there were there were good divas, but 
they were good as valets, managers, etc. Not necessarily. Some of them unfairly got labelled as it, and it's a whole marketing thing. And I don't, you know. And and I do sound very harsh, but I believe it or not, I truly understand. Mm-hmm. If they don't do what Vin, Vinny tells them to do, they don't get to work. Yeah. You know, I understand. I love, I miss wrestling. I loved being on the road. I loved wrestling, period. It's an addiction, especially if you ever walk out in front of a crowd the first time and you're standing in that ring. It becomes an addiction. And I understand why they do the things they do. They have no choice. And that's why I don't really blame the ladies. I blame Vinny. How you know? did how did you feel about and you know, last question on this subject, but when Moolah's in the ring at 80, you know, obviously she loves the spotlight, she loves the fame. Do you blame her for wanting to continue to do that as well? Or I feel sorry for her. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Moolah had a chance to step step back and let ladies like Judy Martin uh, and Leilani, the Glamour Girls, uh, Velvet McIntyre. She had, in my opinion, at that time, the greatest women wrestlers there were. And if she had booked them properly and paid them properly, she would have never had to step in that ring again. And to have a woman, once again, and I'm not saying Mula at 80 couldn't hold her own. What I am saying is Mula at 80 had no business in the ring, and Vinny was wrong to put her in the ring. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean... It, be- it became uncomfortable, at, uh, you know, um, to watch. And, and, you know, if they want to do comedy stuff, that's one thing. But when you see them... I mean, May would... You know, the, some of the things she did it, in her seventies was just insane. Um, well, it was crazy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a new action figure coming out as well, Mae Young. I cannot wait for that. I'm very excited I, about that. I think I saw a picture of that somewhere, and it is not all that appealing. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, though, they, they didn't give her a young sort of, you know, fifties and sixties Mae Young. It's literally. No, it's- it's the 80s, 90s May Young. Uh-huh. Uh, and well, at least the Wendy Richter figure was uh, flat- flattering when they finally got that thing out there. Um, yes, it was. Um, no, when I saw, I actually saw May and uh, Mula on, I believe, Jay Leno. Yeah. When they were getting back into that. And they showed a couple of clips and it was like, dude, really? You know, Mula. Lillian, May, you guys are my, you know, you're my ancestors in the business. You're the people I'm supposed to look up to. And you're in a schoolgirl outfit in the ring and your finish is sitting on somebody's face. Yeah. And they pass out because it smells so bad. How could you disgrace your own business like that? How could you degrade yourself like that? You know, at that point, I was of an age personally where when I was a little younger in the late 90s, some of that stuff, I I kind of just didn't react to it. But by the time I was early 20s, I was just rolling my eyes at stuff like that. And I was just like, oh, like, you know, but um, it was almost like Vinny was trying to, to destroy women's wrestling with the things that he did 
when he first took over the WWF. Yeah. You know, it was like he he just didn't want women to be in wrestling. You know, it. Uh, yeah, I, I, know. I know. So we shouldn't leave it on a, on a negative. Uh, a negative. Oh, one no, thing. no, no, no. <laughs> well, one thing I love about the sort of you know the wrestlers from your time period is that. Again, because there were no camera phones, there was no social media, there's an air of mystique around, you know, Sherry and Luna and, you know, um, those who are no longer here anymore. And to be able to demystify you somewhat is, uh, you know, is is just an amazing thing for me as a fan. Um, You know, I know you don't want to give away too much. (laughs) You always have to, you know, you always have to... Keep something secret, I guess. Because um, well, it's too, it's too well, easy to give everything away on social media as well. Like, Well, if, if it wasn't for people like you who do the research, who see, you know, me 35 years ago, nobody would know who I was. So to every fan out there that's watching old school wrestling, thank you. You keep me smiling. That's wonderful. And and you're very responsive and receptive on social media as well, um, which not every wrestler is. Because, I mean, I understand personal profiles and stuff like that, but, you, you know, you have the, the fan page and even on your personal profile. And this isn't an invitation now for thousands of people that just message you. Um, <laughs> my, I'm going to get the blue screen of death on my computer when I go to open Facebook. It's going to say... Um, not doing this. <laughs> yeah, then I'll get all the heat, and I, I certainly don't want any heat. So, because you, you can beat me up, so you know I'm uh, I'm not gonna, you know. Um, so people can find you on Facebook as uh, Vicky Otis, and can find you on the Velvet McIntyre and Princess Victoria fan page. That would be the yeah, best it, way. Yeah, it's yeah on Facebook. It's Vicky Otis. It's V I C K I, and Otis O T is in Tom I S. And then it's in this order, Velvet McIntyre and Princess Victoria on Facebook. Oh, see, you're so modest, put yourself second, or did Velvet step in? Uh, <laughs> and, and I, I'm the same way as I was in wrestling, you know. Okay, okay I got to do a job tonight. Somebody's going to beat me up all night. Okay, good. I get to lay on the mat and flop around. They got to do all the work. <laughs> Was that how it was? Were you the one that got pinned? Oh, I, I loved, I loved selling, uh-huh. and, and and I can remember one night there was this really cute guy on the front row, uh-huh. and Joyce was beating me up, and Wendy was beating me up, and I happened to raise my head and locked eyes with him, and I just let one tear fall. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. He came up out of that seat like a scalded cat, and that, that's when I decided, time to make a comeback, and the crowd, they didn't pop, they roared. Uh-huh. Oh, amazing. See, I feel like we've barely scratched the surface here. I would love to do a part two. Um, oh. Yeah, so that's the thing. Create a good impression, get a verbal contract on air, you know, so this is, you know, oh, now I, you have to... I see how this works now. <laughs> yeah, I've worked you the entire time just to get the second interview. The whole time just for the second interview. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we'll have a lot of... We've got to do a lot of road stories, I think, and... Um... Oh, I've got a few. Oh, okay, I yeah. I got one about Judy Grable, and Judy, I love you. Uh, <laughs> I got one about Judy Grable that is infamous. Oh, see, now, right, so you've got to tune in next time for that. We'll have the team of lawyers on standby. Um, and... 
<laughs> and um, for those, because I'm uh, I'm purchasing a trading card from you. So do you have many of those left? Do you have eight by tens? Do you sell stuff through the page, etc.? I do. I have eight by tens. I have. I have eight by tens of me in Japan. I have eight by tens in the yellow outfit. I've got eight by tens of velvet and I, I've got a shirt that um, I'm, I'm in the Tom Filsinger game uh, called Le Legends of Wrestling. I have a shirt that the uh, artwork from that game, I have put it on a t-shirt and it's got my actual autograph across it that I sell. Oh, nice. I got I've got okay. the Phil Singer game cards. Just approach me on Facebook and uh, private message me on Facebook, and and I'll give you the prices. Yes, buy the gimmicks. There's a pandemic on. Um, right. I need to feed my family, y'all. Yeah. Baby <laughs> needs new shoes, all that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Baby, oh, mama. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, look, Vicky, thank you. This has been a joy. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to thank, I also want to thank uh, Maxine for giving me the kick up the backside and said, look, just message these people. It's fine. <laughs> you know, um, just be forthright. No, because that's the thing, though. You know, I know that you don't do these lightly as well. Um, and, you know, compared to the amount of requests that I'm sure you get as well. And um, I'm extremely grateful. Uh, that you uh, were able to spend some time um, with a fan. So, yeah, everyone needs to check out this interview, check out the Maxine interview, everything in the archives, A to Z in terms of names that have been incredibly lucky enough to interview. And uh, I want to thank you again. So uh, before we go, uh, what would you like to say to the fans? Thank you, guys. Thank you for being a fan. Thank you for making my name memorable. Because without you fans, I'm nobody. And keep it up. I'm working on getting an old school uh, promotion together. I'm working on it. Just give me time. Oh, okay. That's a scoop. It's, okay. it's something that's in the works, in the background. And mm -hmm. it's going to be totally old school. Oh. Yeah, there's going to be a few bumpity bumps. Because even in old school, we did that. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be real wrestling. Uh, so wonderful. What a way to end it. Oh, such cliffhangers. Okay. Um, well, thank you again, and uh, we'll talk again very soon. Thank you. You have a great day, darling. I'll talk to you later. Bye.